Last week, we started this series by looking at these words from Jesus, and here's what he said in Matthew chapter 15. He said, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. So Jesus said, before it comes out of your mouth, it had to be in your heart in the first place. Um, you, You may have monitored your mouth for a long time, but something happens and your monitor malfunctions and you say something mean or evil or hurtful and you think, where did that come from? And Jesus said, I know, I'll tell you, it came from your heart. It was there. He said, not only do your words come from your heart, but your actions as well. It starts in your heart long before it ever gets to your thoughts. If you do something evil, it's because there's evil in your heart. If you do something mean, it's because there's meanness in your heart. And so Jesus says, that's the source. Now, a thousand years before Jesus, uh, Solomon said these words. We looked at this last week as well. Above all else, guard your heart. Above all else, number one on your priority list, you should guard your heart for everything flows from it. Now, when you were a kid, how many of you were taught to behave or at least your parents attempted to teach you to behave? All right. Yeah. I had to add that to the first service because nobody raised their hand. I didn't learn to behave. We we are new life after all. Um, So they attempted to to teach you to behave. And when you monitor your words, your mouth, when you monitor your behavior, then, then you're modifying those things and, and um, you're, you're trying to behave. How many of you were taught to monitor your heart? what goes into your heart, to guard your heart. See, I think this is the real problem in the church, not just new life, but every church I've been in. Nobody ever taught me to guard my heart. Nobody told me that Solomon said it's the number one priority of your life. Now, you need to understand who Solomon was. So I'm studying his life right now, and it says in the scripture, it says Solomon was wiser than, and it starts listing these guys from the east, these wise men from the east. He's the wisest of his day. Solomon had wisdom in nature, science, building relationships, and people, powerful people from all over the world would come to see his wealth and to listen to him lecture on these subjects. And after he had talked, they'd say, we were told you were wise, but we were not told half of how wise you really are. You have this incredible wisdom. It was from God, got all the glory for that, that guy that people from all over the known world came to hear him speak, that guy said, number one on your list, you should guard your heart because everything flows from it. Now guard our hearts from what? Well, that's what we're going to talk about these next four weeks from these four scary monsters that start off small, but they end up huge in your life. And some of us have been living with these monsters lodged in our hearts for so long, we don't even realize that those monsters reach out and grab people and claw people and and hurt people. Other people realize it. Other people have moved away from us because our hearts are so damaged and these monsters leap out and they just get tired of being bullied by those monsters. By the time we realize though that these monsters are living in our lives, they're so big, so controlling that we understand if we deal with them, it's going to be incredibly embarrassing. So we decide, I'm just going to keep it a secret. I'm going to keep it covered up. It's easier if I ignore it. It won't be that big a deal. I'm going to keep it a secret the rest of my life. There's no way I'm bringing this stuff out into the open because that would be too painful. If everybody knew, it would be too painful. Well, I got two secrets for you today. Number one, everybody knows there's something wrong with your heart. All they have to do is listen to what you say and watch what you do. It's on full display. They may not know exactly what's wrong with your heart, but they know that there's something eating at you. Second secret is God's word says that things that stay in the dark grow larger in the dark. They get bigger and bigger. If you ignore them, they get larger in your life. They never say never. Okay, thanks, Travis. He was here the first service. 
They never, say never. These things never grow smaller when you ignore them and try to keep them covered up. They always get larger. Now, we're going to look at each of these um, monsters in terms of a debt-debtor relationship. Think of it like this. If someone owes you money and they refuse to pay you money, it messes up your relationship, right? It does not improve your relationship, right? You know that they owe you money. They know they owe you money. You're thinking, you owe me. They're thinking, I owe you. And you may, you may talk about the weather. You may talk about sports. But when somebody owes you something and they refuse to pay, it's a debt, debt or relationship. It changes things. So that's what happens in this instance. These, each of these monsters creates a debt, debtor relationship. It's an imbalance between you and others. Today, our monster is called guilt. Now... First service, nobody, nobody related to this, but how many of you have ever associated the word guilt with churches or religion? Anyone? Okay, a few more here. I grew up in a church that guilted you to do everything. And in fact, I heard a religious leader say one time, if they don't feel guilty, we'll lose them, meaning they're not going to come to church. And I thought, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I know what he was trying to say, but how many of you love it when your mom guilts you into coming to see her? Let me see your hands. Oh, you don't love me. You must love the lake more than you love me. Man, that motivates me to want to go see him, right? Um, how many of you love being, being guilted into doing something you don't want to do, volunteering for something? You'd, oh, if you really loved our school, right, you, you'd show up. Y'all, guilt is not something that motivates me. You want, you want to make me feel good about God or respond to God? Don't guilt me. If I want to feel bad about myself, I'll just go play golf. I was out there Friday, and, and I was playing. I hit my first shot, and it wasn't bad, but I had a clear shot to the green, and I thought, yes, all right. So I go up, and I have my little pitching wedge, um, and, and it's about 100 yards, and that's about what I hit my pitching wedge. And so nobody's on the course. It's raining, and I'm actually loving it. I, I love to be that guy. I'm, it, it could be 110 degrees. I'm the only guy on the course. It was 30. I'm not kidding. It was 30 degrees one time back in the winter. I was the only guy on the course. I loved it. So it's raining. I'm the only guy on the course. So I get out there with my, with my pitching wedge, and I look, and I said, all right. And, and I hit, and I don't know what I did, but the green is that way. The ball went that way, <laughs> big time, about 110 yards that way. And so I did what anybody would do on a golf course. I looked around to see if anybody saw that piece of trash shot. And, and there was a groundskeeper over here, and he goes, Psh! I'm like, no dust, Sherlock, thanks. I didn't know it went over there. And you know what was in my heart just came out at that moment. I can play golf and feel bad about myself all day. And there's lots of things I can do to feel bad about myself. But you want me to come to church? And then you're going to guilt me into doing things? And if you come to New Life, they do this weird thing at the end, this weird little announcement where they say joy basket, and like two people go, whoo, yeah, thank you. That's exactly what it is. We, God loves a cheerful giver. Where There's only two cheerful givers in New Life if you go by that. So, so you're, wanting, you're wanting me to pay to feel guilty about myself? No, thank you. Well, if you hate being guilted into something, I got good news for you today. When you read the New Testament, you're going to find out Jesus was not a dispenser of guilt. He did not deal with guilt. Now, if anybody, if anybody in history could have used guilt to get people, wouldn't it be Jesus because he knew the hearts of all men? I mean, he could walk into a crowd back there. He could walk in here today, and he could go, guilty. And Justin would go, yeah, I am. And he'd say, guilty. Guilty, 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 guilty. Oh, number two. <laughs> the backup pastor, he's really guilty. 
And Jeff, he's back there on the, Jeff sets the world record, Guinness world record for being guilty. Jesus could do that, right? But he didn't. And let me tell you why. It's guilty people, it's usually guilty people who use guilt to get other people to do what they want. Jesus wasn't guilty of anything. So he didn't use guilt to try to manipulate people. And I'm just going to tell you, if we ever, if New Life, if I, any leader in this church ever tries to guilt you into doing something, it's a clear indication that we're not following Jesus. Now, I have to say this. Never confuse guilt with conviction. In the scripture in, in Hebrews 4.12, I didn't put this up there. Here's what it says. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There are times God will convict you. He'll take his word and he will pierce through all of that stuff that you've tried to put around to keep people from getting in there. The word of God will convict you and you'll say, ouch. I mean, you, you know you're undone when you see God and when you hear God's word. That's not what I'm talking about with guilt. Guilt says you are defined by your sin, by your past. That's who you are. Conviction says, no, you've sinned. Conviction says you're guilty. Yep, you're guilty, but you don't have to stay that way. You can be reconciled to God. You can be cleansed. You can be reconciled to other people. Your future can be different. That's what conviction does. Guilt, though, is a heart issue, and it has nothing to do with Christianity. It has nothing to do with following Jesus. In Romans chapter four, uh, two, four, chapter two, verse four, B, B just means the second half of the verse. Paul asks this question. He says, don't you know it's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance? Repentance is changing your heart and your life. What is it that leads you to God? Kindness. kindness. Does it say guilt? It's the kindness of God, not the guilt of God that leads you to repentance. See, God knows that guilt might modify your behavior temporarily but it won't bring permanent change. In fact, guilt can't bring permanent change. Guilt only brings permanent damage to your heart. Guilt is a disease. It's a monster. It's a problem that needs to be cured, not a weapon to enslave people or get them to do what you want them to do. And even our language backs this up. Help me out. Fill in this blank here. We say this, I blank you an apology. I what? I owe you an apology. See, when I do something to hurt you and I know I've hurt you, I, I want to pay, I, I owe you something. We say this all the time, or we'll say this one. Let me blank it up to you. Make it up to you. A guilty person who is honest knows they have hurt you. They know they have done something wrong against you and they want to make it up to you. Whenever you hurt someone, you've taken something from them that you did not have permission to take. There's now a debt, debt or relationship. And guilt is this big, fat warning signal. It's an indicator that you've taken something from someone else. You've done something or taking something from them that does not belong to you. Now, that's what guilt is. But that's not how we feel guilt. I got this lovely weighted vest. How, how much does this weigh? 20 pounds? 20 pounds? All right. But this isn't, this isn't a workout vest. This is guilt. All right, now think about this. Whenever um, <sighs> guilt is like a weight we carry around, and, and when you go to the person and you finally confess it, you say, I feel like a weight has been taken off of me. I feel like a burden has been lifted, right? Now, regardless, I'm going to take me a second here. This is Christy, so 
it doesn't quite fit. She told me it's going to be too small. She was right. Now, this is, this is how we tend to wear guilt. It is a weight on our life. Now, wherever you picked it up, it could, you could have picked it up when you were five. You could have picked it up when you were a teenager. It, it, it doesn't matter. Wherever you picked it up, when you put it on and you refuse to resolve guilt, it becomes a part of you. And when it becomes a part of you, no matter where you go, who you taking with you? Your guilt. So you can, you can do something. You can mess up in a church and you say, I'm going to change churches. Oh, God, forever. What came with you? Your guilt. You can do something in a marriage and damage a marriage and come over here, divorce this one, come over here, oh, baby. What came with you to your new relationship? Your guilt, when it becomes a part of you, infects every relationship that you'll ever have. Now, if you were, if you were to dig underneath guilt, do you know what feeds guilt? What, what causes it to keep going? It's anger. And who are guilty people most angry at? Themselves. Oh, I let myself down. And here's, here's the, the hard thing. It's almost impossible to please a man or woman who is carrying around a load of guilt. Almost impossible. Because here's what they say. Since I didn't live up to my expectations, I'm not going to allow you to either. Since I disappointed myself, I'm going to make sure you disappoint me as well. Now, if you're carrying around guilt, you don't see it, but everybody around you do. Everybody sees it. They know they can't please you, but they don't know why. And you may try to cover it up and say, oh, I'm just a perfectionist. No, your heart is wounded. It's damaged. And you're hurting other people because you're carrying around a weight your heavenly father never intended for you to carry. And it's become a part of you. And see, here's the problem with guilt. This is 20 pounds. You carry guilt for a year. It's no longer 20 pounds. It's larger. Guilt grows in the dark. When you try to cover it up, it grows, it grows, it grows. You find somebody who's been carrying guilt 50 years, and it is a massive weight that is infecting everything they do. Guilt is destroyed, though, by the light. And I'm going to tell you how to do that today. Now, since guilt is a debt, there's only two options for you to deal with that. You, if you owe somebody money, there's only two ways to deal with that. Number one, you can repay the debt. But when we're talking about guilt, how do you repay the person that you damaged in your first marriage? How do, how do you repay somebody that you've slandered or gossiped about or that you just, you just flat hurt them with your words? How do you repay that? See, when we're talking about relationships, it's not always possible to repay that debt. But the second thing is, the second way to deal with debt is to ask the victim to cancel the debt. You know what both of these things require? Confession. See, if you repay the debt, you're, you're admitting, I owe you, and I'm repaying this because I owe you. If you ask the victim to cancel the debt, you're saying, I owe you, and I need you to forgive me and cancel the debt. Both of them require confession, and there it is. Here's the thing you're going to push back against today. I told you last week there's going to be some things in this series. Every week you're going to go, ah, I don't know about that. Here it is. Confession breaks the power of guilt. Confession is like this big light that shines in the dark places of your heart. And, and if you're carrying guilt today, those of you are carrying guilt, 
How many of you would like to forgive yourself for what you did all those years ago? Anyone? Everyone I've talked to who's honest says, I desperately want to forgive myself. You'll never fully forgive yourself as long as you keep this guilt a secret, as long as you don't deal with it. You have to confess to the person you owe. And some of you are going to say, nope. But once you confess, it's like taking off the weight. It's removing that weight. And you can be a different person in the future once you do that. Now, here's something I just discovered. I just discovered this week. I've been in church since I... I was in the church nursery. Mom played the, the piano or, or organ in some church. I, I can't remember. It was like 67 years. No, 73 years. She died at 87. So she started when she was 14. So I, I grew up in the church, but I never learned this in the church. I just discovered this this week. When you read the Old Testament, New Testament, you find out that God's word says far more about confessing to other people than it says about confessing to God. Did y'all know that? Anyone know that? There was like one person, yeah, thanks, Travis learned the first service. There was one other person in the first service who already knew that, but I was not taught this because here's the culture we live in. We live in this, this religious culture that says, if I offend you, I'm just gonna tell God and then we'll be good. Hey, God, I lied to her again. God says, yeah, I know, it's the eighth time you've lied to her. Evidently, confessing to me isn't keeping you from lying to her. Next day, God, I lied. Yeah, I know, I, I know. See, confessing to God is not keeping you from doing those sins. And, and we think, oh, God, forgive me. And God says, I forgive you, but the problem is no longer between me and you. It's between you and someone else. So we try to tell God over and over. Maybe we try to tell a godly person that we respect, but we avoid telling the person that we've wronged. And that's our biggest problem. To get rid of guilt of something you've done to someone else, you go to someone else, not God. You go to the person you offended, you turn on that big spotlight of truth, and you confess what you did. Now, in the Old Testament, God gave Israel some rules on how they were supposed to live. God chose the Israelites. He'd, he'd led them out of Egypt. They'd wandered in the wilderness. So God's telling Moses, this is how I want my people to live. And here's what he says in Numbers 5, starting in verse 5. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the sons of Israel when a man or woman commits any sin of the sins of mankind. Sins of mankind means sins against another person, person on person sin, not you sinning against God, you sinning against another person. The NIV translates it, any man or woman who wrongs another in any way, and then look what it says, acting unfaithfully against the Lord. Wait a minute, you just said you committed a sin against somebody else. How can that be unfaithful to God? Jesus was asked one time, what's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second uh, greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. If I'm not loving my neighbor as I love myself, I can't possibly love God. If there's problems in between me and, and, and someone else, there's problems between me and God. So I'm acting unfaithfully towards someone else who is created in the image of God. If you commit a sin against a sin of mankind, acting unfaithfully against the Lord, that person is guilty. Is what? The scripture calls you what? If you wrong another person, the scripture calls you what? I got all day. If the scripture calls you, it says, if you wrong somebody, what's the scripture call you? Guilty. <laughs> Y'all want to get out of here today. It calls you guilty. I'm not guilty. My child would never do anything wrong. I was a youth minister. I heard that a lot. My kid didn't do that. Do you want a video? I, we didn't have video back then. That would have been awesome. 
See, God didn't say when you've committed a wrong, just tell me and, and I'll pat you on the head and say, oh, it's okay, you're a good boy, you're a good girl, let's keep this our little secret. Look what he says. He shall confess his sins, which he has committed, and he shall make restitution in full for his wrong and add to it one-fifth of it and give it to him who is wrong. See, you have to not only confess it, you have to go to the person. If you ripped them off, you're supposed to go to them, pay back what you ripped them off, and then a 20% penalty interest on top of that. Add 20%. Confess and make restitution if possible. Now, in the New Testament, y'all remember when um, Jesus went through Jericho, he's going on his way to Jerusalem, and it says he, he ran into a man named Zacchaeus. Y'all remember that? Well, if you go to Jerusalem, um, we, went, we went to Jericho, and they took us to what they said was the sycamore tree that Zacchaeus climbed up into, and when I got off of the van, this dude, this, this random Arab man just walks up and starts wrapping this thing on my head, and I'm going, no, no, I'm not going to buy it, and my brothers are like, no, we think it's funny, let us take pictures, and so I did, and then, then we became friends, and I had to buy the thing because I felt guilty. They're like, just tell him no, you didn't want it. I said, dude, we just posed for pictures. You all want it. I got to pay for this. So this is somewhere in my house. I haven't put it on my bald head since. But, uh, but anyway, all this to say, when we went there, we saw this tree. And if you go to Jericho, they're going to take you to this tree. And they're going to say, this is a sycamore tree. This is the tree that Zacchaeus climbed up in when he wanted to see Jesus. So y'all help me out. Uh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior walked that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for three of you went to Sunday school. <laughs> for I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house today. I learned that in Sunday school. Jesus goes to his house, which was scandalous because he's the chief tax collector. But Jesus didn't care what people thought because he looked up in a tree and he saw this man. He knew God was working in his heart. You know how he knew? Because no Jewish man who had any respect for himself would climb a tree. They didn't do it. In a robe, he climbs up in a tree and it's real easy. As Jesus is walking by, he says, my father's working in that one. And he says, I'm going to go to your house today, Zacchaeus. And by the time Jesus was finished with him at Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus is transformed and he stands up and he says, if I have wronged anyone, I'm going to repay them four times as much. How much does the Old Testament say you're supposed to pay? 20%. He says 400%. So if you ripped off $100, the Old Testament says you give back the $100 plus $20. Zacchaeus says, if I've ripped off somebody $100, bucks, i am going to give them back 400 Y'all can rip me off right now. If you're going to pay me back four times as much, I'll give you everything in my pocket. Jesus doesn't say, oh, Zach, stop it. You're taking this restitution thing way too seriously. Just tell me and we'll be okay. Uh -uh. Jesus affirms him. And think about it. In order for him to go and, and pay back somebody, he has to confess, I ripped you off. See, they always suspected that he ripped him off, now they would have proof. Everybody would know. Zacchaeus didn't care, though, because his heart had been changed. He didn't care. Who knew? Because he was free on the inside. And Jesus looks at him and he says, it's obvious that salvation has come to your house today. How, does he, how did it become obvious? Because his heart had changed and his life changed and he was willing to go public and say, I have wronged these people. Jesus said, salvation has come to you today. Jesus' first sermon, in, uh, sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 
Verse 23 says this. If you're offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Now, I'm gonna show you a couple of pictures to explain this because this will be terribly inconvenient to do what Jesus said to do. And have you noticed it's quite often inconvenient to do what Jesus says to do, but when you do it, you're free. Okay, so this is the southern gate in Jerusalem. You see these things here. Okay, give, go to the next picture. This is also the southern gate. So you see these steps here. The temple would have been over here. I'll show you that in a second. But you would get in line here and the city of David was way down here. So the only thing up on this mountain, you didn't have everything outside the walls. This is called old Jerusalem. You didn't have anything around there. The only thing up on Mount Moriah was the temple mount. And so if you were gonna be cleansed from your sin, or if you're going to dedicate a child, you would go to the temple. You would come in through these, these gates down here, and then you would go up to the temple. Okay, next one. Here's a little model of what it would have looked like. Okay, so again, here are the steps. So you would be in line with your offering. All right, so if you, if you were a wealthy person or, or just had a, an average salary, you'd probably have a lamb. And so you'd have it on a leash and you'd be standing in this whole long line that's probably going way down here. And what you have to do is you have to come in, you have to go up here to what's called the Eastern entrance. And, and over here is the Eastern gate. That Eastern gate is where Jesus is gonna return to when he comes back someday, he says he'll enter through the Eastern gate. So you would come up here, you would get the priest to take your, your animal, whatever it was, a, a dove if you're, if you're poor. Jesus' uh, family, they offered a dove because they didn't have enough money to, to offer the lamb um, when he was dedicated when he was eight days old. So whatever it was, you got your lamb, you got your bird house, whatever. Jesus says, when you're standing in this big honking long line and you remember, Doug, that Perry has something against you. Take your little lamb and tie it up somewhere. Take your little bird cage, set it down. Go wherever Perry is. Be reconciled to Perry. Then you come back and start this process again. You go be reconciled to him before you come try to worship me. Jesus is saying, if you, if you have something wrong with someone you know, go to them before you go to God. We have the order wrong. We'll come here, oh God, there's something wrong. God's like, I know. And you need to deal with it. Well, how do I deal with it, God? Well, the half-brother of Jesus tells us, James chapter 5, verse 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Not forgiven of your sins, so that you may be healed. See, God's way for you to deal with guilt on the inside is to bring it outside. Go to the people you've wronged and bring it to the outside. One of my favorite movies is, is a, a Knight's Tale, and he says, your entrails will become your outtrails. And, and I just think that's funny. It's gross, but it's funny. Whatever's on the inside, you need to bring out into the light. And here's what we don't understand. The goal of confession is not a clear conscience. If it was just a clear conscience, all I gotta do is say, oh God, I'm really sorry I messed up, and you go back and live in your life. But the lie from hell is that by confessing to God something I've done to you deals with the guilt in my heart. That's a lie from hell. Sins that you only confess to God, you will repeat. Thank you. I should have gotten some ouches. I got a few ouches online even last week on Facebook. You know, if you can't say, yeah, I know that's right, baby, or yeah, that's right, you should say ouch. I got a few of those. Somebody ought to say ouch because you need to hear this. Sins that you only confess to God, you're going to repeat. Confession to God for the sins of mankind won't change you because you're confessing wrong. 
You keep confessing the same sins over and over and your heart is rotting on the inside instead of healing, it's because you're confessing wrong. God says, don't come to me when you've wronged someone else, go to them. See, the goal of confession is not a clear conscience. The goal of confession is a changed life. A friend of mine years ago, we were in seminary together, so this was in the early 90s, and uh, we were hanging out one day, and he said, hey, man, I just want to tell you something. He said, I, I cheated on a test at seminary. And I went, what? Because cheating at preacher school is that we kick you out immediately, no questions asked, you're done, you can't be a minister, you're gone. And I said, what happened? He said, well, for whatever reason, I don't remember all the details, but for whatever reason, he couldn't take the test when the whole class took the test. So that he went later and the professor put him in a room next to his office. And nobody was in there. There's no cameras. This is long before you had surveillance cameras everywhere. So he's sitting in there and he's going through and he's thinking, I'm going to fail this test because I really didn't study. And his backpack was right here. And he pulled out his notebook and he started filling in all the answers. Turned in his test and I, I think he made a good grade or whatever. But then God pierced his heart and said, you're, you're going to try to represent me by cheating? So he pierced his heart, and he went to see the professor. He tells me this all afterwards. He already done all this, and he's just telling me what's going on. So I said, dude, what was it like? And he said, it was hard. I had to look him in the eye. And this was a professor that we both knew, but he knew him well. This had been his youth minister back in the day, and he cheated. And he said, hey, this is what I did. And, and the professor wasn't real happy, but he looked at him. He said, because you've confessed to me, I'm going to forgive you. I'm not going to report you. You're going to take this test again. You're going to study. My friend said, yes, sir. My friend never cheated again. You want to know why? Because the consequences were so high. He said, I don't want to go down that road again. That's what confession does. When I was in high school, um, my mom, for whatever reason, she liked judgment at this time, let me take her car on a ski trip. And uh, me and my, my best friend left early, and, and we went on this ski trip. And one night we were drinking, and uh, some of the girls, there were some high school girls there from our same town, and they said, you've been drinking. We're not going to let you drive the car. We're going to drive these people home, and then we'll bring you the keys back. Well, as it, would as it would happen, she's driving some people home, one of my good friends, and they're hit by a drunk driver, ironically. And so I have to call my mom because this is her, her baby car, her dream car, not, not dream at that point, but anyway, nice car. And I called and I lied to her. I said, Mom, I was driving and this drunk driver hit me and she said, okay. We go home and uh, I'm thinking everything's great. We get home on, a, I think on a Saturday, I don't remember. And um, Sunday afternoon, we would always go play football and just hang out, you know. And I get a call from my best friend, he said, hey, mom found out the truth. And she wants you to come to our house right now. So I hop in the car and I go over. And so Kevin and his mom, Linda, were sitting in the, and she said, you looked me in the eye and you said you would not take my son someplace where, where you'd encourage him to drink. And I said, yes, ma'am, I lied to you. I said, will you forgive me? And she said, she said, I will. And then I said, you gonna tell my parents? She said, nope, you are. And my heart just fell down into my gut. And, I thought, and it's only four blocks from Kevin's house to my house. And so I drive home and I pull in the driveway and dad's always working in the garage. Mom's always in the house. And I call them in and I still remember. I sat down on the piano bench. And I said, mom and dad, I lied to you. 
I wasn't driving the car. Why weren't you driving the car? I was drinking. You looked me in the eye. I said, you wouldn't be drinking. I said, I know. Will you forgive me? And, and for, for a few days, what's, what's ironic is because I confessed, they weren't going to punish me, but I felt so bad. I owe you that I grounded myself for two weeks. I'm not making this up. At the end of two weeks, mom handed me my keys and said, please go somewhere. You're killing me. I said, yes, ma'am. By the time my parents died, I had confessed everything I needed to confess to them. So when my parents died, yes, I was sad and I cried. But there were no accounts where I'm carrying this guilt I was able to stand up and preach my parents and my sister's funeral because we, we had dealt with all that stuff. Can you imagine my, my friend today, 30 years ago, he cheated on a test at preacher school. What do you think his ministry would be like? Because what do you think his heart would be like today if he hadn't confessed? What do you think my heart would be like towards my parents if I hadn't confessed? See, here's, here's the deal. Some of you are going, well, you know, huh? I didn't, I didn't cheat in preacher school. I didn't lie to my parents about drinking. Maybe I cheated on a math test in sixth grade, but that was so long ago, I'm going to get a pass on that one. I cheated on my spouse. And if I confess, do you know how much that's going to hurt them? Confession doesn't hurt people. Sin does. You've already hurt them. They just don't know why. They don't know the root of it. Had a young woman in my, in my youth and college ministry years ago, beautiful young woman involved in leadership in the, in the youth group. And um, she was terribly, terribly insecure. So she dated the wrong guys. I saw a t-shirt this week that said jerk magnet. That's what she should have worn, jerk magnet. Because all these dudes were attracted to her because they knew they could abuse her um, verbally and sexually. And, and so she came into my office one day and she said... Um, I need to tell you that, that I've, I've been sexually active a lot. You need to know this. And I said, okay. I said, well, that's good. You've told me, but I'm not the authority you need to confess to. Hearing this little voice back in my mind, you need to go to your parents, which I had to do. I said to her, you need to go confess to your parents. She got wide-eyed, and then she said, you're right. So she went, and she confessed to her parents, and her parents were pillars in that church. And they were devastated, and she had to go through some stuff for a while. But I'm going to tell you, the moment she confessed, her heart was changed. Today, she's in ministry today. She travels all over the world doing mission trips, and you would not know it, and I wouldn't tell you if you ask me. You would not know it. But years ago, she confessed. God healed her heart, and now you couldn't tell that she's the one because she confessed. Confession doesn't hurt people. Concealing sins hurts people. See, we, can, we fear the consequences of confession because we don't really understand the consequences of concealing our sin. God does. God looks at your heart. He sees this rotting heart that's infecting everything. And see, God also knows this. He knows that the, the consequences of confession are immediate. You're going to feel them right now. They're tangible. You're going to feel them. But here's the thing. It's only going to affect a handful of people. That girl in my youth group, it only affected her and her parents, really. When I confessed to my parents, it was just me and my parents in the, in the living room. When my buddy confessed to the, to the professor, he felt it right then. But it was only a handful of people. Here's the, here's the consequences of concealing your sin. 
They're not tangible. Your heart will rot. You're not going to feel it immediately, but it will impact and infect every relationship you ever have. Since God loves you, he doesn't say, oh, I just keep it a secret. He says, confess it. It's the rotting heart versus a healed heart. If you want a rotted heart, by all means, keep pretending it's not a problem, that you don't have a problem with guilt. But if you want to be healed, then I've got some steps for you. Baby step. Confess to someone you trust. This is baby step. Someone you trust, you'll see on a regular basis so they'll hold you accountable. Step two is not a baby step. You're going to have to put on your big boy pants or your big girl pants. You confess to the person you've wronged. And then step three, you make restitution if possible. And in Celebrate Recovery, we say if, if doing so won't hurt the other person. So like you committed adultery 30 years ago, you don't suddenly show up and they're married and have children and grandchildren and go, hey, remember when we... No, that will harm them and that's more about you than it is them. You don't do that. You might need to write a letter and burn it. You may need to talk to somebody, I, I don't know, hammer nails into a cross or a tree or I don't know what you need to do, but... But you only make restitution if it will not injure the people further that you've wronged. Now, I'm going to tell you this. If you do this, your outside world will temporarily be painful. It'll be very complicated. But your heart will be free. Once you work through those complications caused by sin, not by confession... You'll be a better man or woman. Your heart will be free to love unconditionally and you'll finally be free to forgive yourself. Did you bow your head for just a minute? I'll ask you a couple of questions and we're out of here. How's your heart today? Is it wounded? You got any secrets that you, you hope nobody will ask? Have you been carrying around the weight of guilt? How long have you been carrying it? And how long do you intend to carry that weight? Here's the deal. Will you trust your heavenly father and obey what he says about how to deal with guilt? One other question. Who came to your mind today while I was speaking? That's probably who you need to start with. Father, change our hearts as we obey your word. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.